0: don't you ever compromise who you are don't you ever compromise
1: what you may be a mix of many things
0: following jesus isn't a bunch of do's and don'ts it's glad tidings it's a partnership with the one that made you and i think we somehow get confused and think that, oh, Christianity is going to church on Sunday for an hour, and maybe on Wednesday night, and studying the words. Well, the Bible's alive. We need to study the living word, and he's alive. Yes. So it's a relationship, it's not just knowledge.
1: Welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. Hi, I'm Byron Tyler. Today, I'm excited to introduce our guest, Henry Hutton from Chuck Hutton Chevrolet and Toyota, one of our newest sponsors of Mid-South Viewpoint on Wednesday and Thursday. Henry,
0: it's so good to see you. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Byron, and I'm very pleased to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, thank you so much for seeing the value of partnering with Mid-South Viewpoint, a show that's been on the radio here on this station for 35 years now. The idea originally was to have a platform to connect with community ministries, really to tell the God-sized stories of what he's up to in our community. And
0: he's doing some great things here, isn't he? (laughs) He's doing some awesome things. You know, in this day and time of pandemic, so much bad news, it's great to be associated with a radio station and to be associated with a radio show that's pointing out the things that God's doing in our community. You know, he's alive. Yes, (laughs) uh, He's real. He's active. And he's he's very interested in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Well, when
1: I say this show's been on the air for 35 years, it's not even close to the history of Chuck Hutton, a name that's been around for 102 years now. Your family started in the automobile business after World War I when your grandfather Big Chuck opened up that first car dealership.
0: You know, actually, it was before World War I. It was uh, 1919, I guess, unless my history's bad. You know what?
1: I think what happened on my information, Henry, is the fact that the Chrysler dealership noticed your grandfather after the war and saw that he was a potential upcoming star for the business of selling cars.
0: Well, you know, the family lore, it is an interesting story. My grandfather was studying to be a college professor. His dad had been a college professor. He uh, caught the eye of a man named Mr. Chrysler. And Mr. Chrysler wanted to introduce him to these two young men. They were brothers called the Dodge brothers. And he went to work for them in 1919 and opened up his first Dodge dealership up in Watertown, South Dakota. He and Helen thought it was too cold up there. said, oh, it's too cold. I'm going to move further south. They headed towards further south, and Helen said, this is hot enough. Let's just move to Memphis. They came over the bridge, and that was in 1939. My dad was a senior in high school then. Well, I think your life probably really changed when you met Lisa. Yes, I married my high school sweetheart. She is a party in a box, and she is a <laughs> gift from the Lord. But, you know, I had a great family growing up, and there was a time in my life that I was really broken, though, because we weren't really a church-going family. My parents put a lot of emphasis on being good and working hard, but they really, really, really didn't take me to church very much. I probably went two times. I knew I was broken. I knew there was something wrong, didn't know what it was. As a teenager, I thought that uh, popularity and alcohol and uh, girlfriends would be the answer to everything, but yeah. I found out that, uh-oh, that wasn't so good. Yeah. And a friend of mine, uh died when I was 17 years old and really made me start thinking about what's important in life and the direction I'm going in didn't feel good. And a guy just told me, he said, you know, Jesus is real. He loves you. And I said, storybook, Jesus. And I said, yeah, he's God. He loved you so much. He loved you even though you're messing up. But you know, wrong has to be paid for. Everybody knows that wrong needs to be righted. You can't do that for yourself. But Jesus came into this world, lived a perfect life, and he willingly went to a cross. And on that cross, he took your judgment. He paid for your sin. And he died. He rose again from the dead. And he's alive. And he wants a relationship. You know, God loves us. Jesus said if we'd turn our life over to him and follow him, that he'd give us eternal life and a new start. And I did that. And that's why I'm so excited about partnering with this show. Because uh, this show features the living God interacting with everyday people that are here in Memphis that are changing lives. And it's not them changing lives. It's the living God changing lives. The living God. You know, Henry, I was just reflecting
1: on my own walk with Christ as you were sharing. In a very similar way, even as early as maybe ten, eleven, I started asking questions about life, thinking about death. But I didn't have a family that was in church or, or had a, a relationship with Christ, so I didn't have any really solid answers. I did some things as a teenager as we all do sometimes' all, that we're all ashamed of. But even at that, there were sprinkles of witnesses in my life. people that I knew. I went to uh, Arkansas and saw this Eureka Springs passion play, and it was uh, the gospel really just fleshed out in front of me in a dramatic play. And I had all these questions. I mean, why, why did Jesus go to the cross? Why did he do that? I knew it was important, but I couldn't make the connection. And no one had the answers that I was with in that automobile on the way back to Memphis. So I went another couple of years before someone came and said, what you shared, this Jesus is real, and he loves you, and he died for you.
0: You know, um, that's one of the things that, you know, as I'm getting towards the later years, I want to run my race well. And I think somewhere in the modern church, we've really forgotten to train our identity as a follower of Christ. We have all heard Second Corinthians five seventeen probably many times. If you've been in church much, you've heard it. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Yeah. The old passes away, the new comes. And then we stop right there. But Jesus didn't stop there. He said, and I want you to understand this, that you have been given a precious gift, the ministry of reconciliation. For just as God in Christ was reconciling the world, you have been given an ambassadorship. And I don't think a lot of followers of Jesus really understand their identity. So when you don't understand this new life you've been given, you've been given a ministry of reconciliation. And we're not taught really how to walk in that new life from the very get-go. You know, I came to Christ, and it took me about 35 years to start figuring out exactly how this, <laughs> how this gift that, that every follower of Christ has. Yes, You know, the last thing he said Before he left earth, we've all heard too, you know, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go, go do what? Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them all the things I have commanded, and lo, I'm with you always. Hmm. And we blow past that great commission. And one of the things that I hope we as followers of Christ kind of wake up and think about what does it mean? that Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. Most people say, yes, I believe that. Well, that means that he's more than a boss. He's a king, right, if he has all authority. And so the question for every follower of Jesus is, do you recognize Jesus as your king? Are you in his kingdom? And if we do, are you willing to put your life in submission to the king? Most believers say, yes, I'm ready. ready." So if the king has a command, are you going to follow it? They go, yes. Okay, what's the next word out of his mouth? Go. At a request or command, go do what? Make a disciple. Well, how you doing in that, follower of Jesus? Are you making disciples? Well, to make a disciple you got to tell somebody. You know, one of the things I've been excited to really kind of understand how Jesus taught his early followers, he taught those guys in stories. So, i've been spending a lot of time trying to do is i know we mentioned on the show uh the art of evangelism made easy
1: yeah and that's something that we're going to talk about in a little bit i want to bring that conversation up because i know that's sure. something on your heart but was it automatic that you would be in the family business
0: Oh, Actually, you know, I had uh, two older brothers that started in the family business, and my dad thought uh, I came to Christ at 17, pretty radical conversion, and my dad thought probably I was either crazy or going to be a pastor or something. And so uh, he steered me toward a a banking career. Uh, There was a local bank in Memphis that actually did a lot of car financing. And so I spent the first 10 years of my professional life Uh, as a banker with Memphis Bank and Trust here in Memphis. I remember
1: that bank. My grandfather was a faithful. (laughs) A lot of uh, Memphians were. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, my grandfather has a rich history here in town, and your dad, uh, grandfather dad, possibly knew my grandfather. He ran the Tyler Lion Oil gas station
0: at Poplar and Belvedere for 46 years. Oh, I'm sure Big Chuck walked. You know, he walked by that station probably. (laughs) One of the things I remember about my grandfather, he liked to walk. And he lived near East High School, and he would walk downtown several times a week. He would walk 10, 12, 15 miles a day. I guess that's what he did to relieve stress.
1: As you talk about carrying this gift that we possess as Christ followers, this, this gift of reconciliation that we've received you have traveled to Africa, Uganda, I believe, and worked with some missions. Uh, what specifically have you done involved with uh, work
0: there? Well, in Africa, I went to uh, I went to Africa to do something that some followers would think is kind of strange. It's uh, church planning. I went with an organization called uh, E3. It stands for Equip, Evangelize, and Establish. They go into a country, find people groups that don't have a church, that have not been evangelized, in my case I went to Uganda 12 times, we would go into a village that didn't have a church with Ugandans. With a, a, We called it the Mother Church. If there was a Bible-believing church that wanted to grow and would provide translators and a overseer for the work when we left, and we would go... Uh, Hut to hut, I would say door to door, but many of the places didn't have doors. Hut to hut, family group to family group, share the good news of Jesus Christ. We'd bring them back each day, and at the end of four days, uh, we would plant a house church. After uh, four days? Yeah, you know, my first trip over there, one of the, you know, the translation and stuff, they're trying to set the trip up, and I got a church that really didn't understand what I was doing, and the pastor. In front of his church, and we're working through a trend. How long are you going to be here to do this church planning? I said, four days. His <laughs> eyes got real big, and he goes, he, he said four days. I said, Well, God made the whole world in six. <laughs> so I think He can plan a church in four. Uh, the church in Ochoco, it's about six clicks out of Arua, where Idi Amin was born. And we established a church there. I went back three times, and then. Uh, 2016, the Church of Achoko planted a church in Luconi, and I was privileged to go back on my fourth missionary journey and help lead that church that was mainly Ugandans, about four or five miles further away where the pastor was actually born. And we established a church in Lucone, so that church planted a church. See, I think the kingdom grows as it's multiplying. Jesus is alive.
1: Well, as you said, is it understands its identity in Christ, that ministry reconciliation, it's doing what it's supposed to do.
0: Yeah, there was a there was a young man named Okello. My wife uh, shared the good news with him, and he had never heard it, and he made a commitment to Christ. And they're not as busy in Uganda. So he said, can I come follow you guys? The official language of Uganda is English. Now, they speak 36 different languages, and yeah. the English is – the schools are no longer free. So – It was a British colony, but it's been independent for a long time. And so Akello followed my group around for an afternoon. The next day he wanted to come. And that morning we were with a group of ladies, and he spoke the language fluently, and he said, I can do this. And I watched Akello, 24 hours old, lead two women to faith in Christ. Uh It was a beautiful thing to see the walk from darkness to light and the change in their faces and their facial expressions. So... You know, Myron, a lot of times we go on these mission trips and we see the hunger for the gospel, and uh, many of these churches maybe have one Bible. I was wondering
1: what stood out to you about the believers there through those
0: travels. What stands out to you? Uh, The believers there, it's a hard country to live in, but they're uh, without faith. And uh, the believers there, they have a relationship with the living god and they hold on to it in their prayer life and their discipline to spend time praying uh you know church starts when the drums start and uh they uh it pretty much isn't over till about uh starts around 9 a.m and it's over around one thirty or 2 there are no spectators in the ugandan church everybody's there except the non-believers, if Everybody is, there's worshiping, talking, praying. The other thing that stands out, they all pray at one time. <laughs> uh, they have about an hour, 45, 35, 40 minutes of prayer time, and they're all praying it loud at the same time, walking around, praying. And when you think about it, our God is God, and he hears all of our prayers all the time. And he is not distracted, and he hears every one of them. So uh, that stood out about the Ugandan church. It was really neat. It's the first time I'd ever seen a person in their household come to faith. I led a lady to Christ and trained her on how to share the gospel. And uh, over the next two and a half days, 26 members of her family came to Christ.
1: That's the power of the gospel, right? Yes. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but for those who benefiting from the
0: living water, it is life. And, you know, one of the things about six years ago, I really began to watch what God's doing through church planning, particularly in areas where there are not a lot of Christians and in the persecuted areas. There's this idea you can't join it, you can't give to it. But there are some young missionaries and old missionaries who are going back to the Bible and are really kind of using the example of Christ on how to train brand new believers they use the great commission and people understand from the get-go our first command as new believers in christ is baptism it doesn't save us but it's the first step of obedience yes so why don't we set that baptism up immediately and then the next step is after someone comes to christ help them to understand and are you willing to learn the commands of christ and they say yes well what time would you like to get together I mean, that's how we make a disciple. We don't have to have tons of knowledge. We need to know just a little bit more than the person we're discipling, yeah, don't we?
1: Yeah. Was the art of evangelism made easy, was that kind of birthed out of your 35 years of trying to find, as you mentioned earlier, trying to find just what this Christian walk was all about? Was it through those experiences in Uganda that...
0: I think it's really more through my failures. I wept when I realized that I didn't believe uh, Luke 10, two when it came to Memphis the enemy we got an enemy you know he's got a name it's lucifer and he's got a bunch of people on his side and we got a war going on and if he can convince the followers of christ that the ground's too hard that only people in uganda only people in china only people in india are interested in the gospel that's where it's exploding then he's convinced us that church is not important he's convinced us the gospel is not important People are not interested in programs anymore. I will say millennials are not interested in the program. But Byron, with all my heart, I hope people understand they're interested in the living God, a living God that has good news that a living God, I love you and I want a relationship with you. Following Jesus isn't a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's glad tidings. It's a partnership with the one that made you. And I think we somehow get confused and think that, oh, Christianity is going to church on Sunday for an hour and maybe on Wednesday night and studying the words. Well, the Bible's alive. We need to study the living word, and he's alive. Yes. So it's a relationship. It's not just knowledge. I just heard Jay Vernon McGee say this
1: morning, you know, and he walks you through the five years of the Bible, and he said, you know, you can spend this time in the Bible – but if you don't put it into practice, if you don't get out into the streets and meet people and tell people what you learned and disciple them and share the gospel, you're just puffing up your mind with knowledge.
0: Yeah, you know, it's James one twenty two, be doers of the word, yeah. not hearers only. And so I think that's sometimes convicting when we realize our job. We have a partnership, and Jesus isn't a silent partner, but he's not the only one that's going to do the work. We have to do more than pray. Well, you mentioned this word partnership. You, Lisa, Pastor Ricky Floyd, and his wife Sheila
1: just started. Actually, last night was the first last night.
0: Yeah, we got together last night. Pursuit of God uh, on North Watkins, and uh, we had a, a, a great time for about an hour and fifteen minutes talking about how did Jesus begin his disciples? What did he tell them before? you know the disciples went on a road trip for about two and a half three years with jesus what did jesus tell them before they went on the road and why you get mark chapter four there's four very fundamental stories and if you really understand what jesus is doing there he's preparing he's planting seeds that are going to grow in these men's brains and lives what type of people to expect what type of life to expect about being on a lampstand, how the kingdom operates in four fields. What is the normal reaction to the gospel in the parable of the mustard seed? You know, Billy Graham said 95% of the believers that follow Christ in America today will never in their lifetime share their faith. Did you say 95%? That's what the Billy Graham Association said. Wow. George Barna did a study about a decade ago, said 85% of the evangelical church doesn't understand enough doctrine that they could tell you why they're saved. It's not that our pastors aren't preaching. Sometimes I think their shepherds are preaching, but the sheep are just too busy complaining. But I think we complain. I know in my own life. You said, how was this born? It was born out of my failures. You know, how many times have I been in a class? You're supposed to share the gospel. Okay. Well, did I have to memorize like eight verses? In college, I thought I had to memorize like 20. And I was preaching at people. And I was preaching at them, and I wasn't loving them. Jesus said, for by this, all men shall know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't doing it in a way – I was doing it more in a way to prove myself right than to love the person. You know, Jesus loved sinners. You know, he's, he hung out with some pretty rough people, but he was very intolerant of sin. So how do we mature as believers that we can imitate Jesus? And I think there in Mark chapter four are some fundamental, fundamental stories that God wants us to understand as, as new believers. This first
1: class that just kicked off last night, mm-hmm. how many weeks will you be meeting at the Pursuit of God church
0: for this particular class? Well, you know, we're, we're planning. Each class is different. It depends on the maturity level, the obedience level. So we're planning on spending about eight weeks, which is about eight hours we eat we get started about 6.30. It was it's designed for an hour and a half. Last night, we spent about an hour and 15 minutes. So, um, and, and
1: those listening right now, Henry, that want to participate, there's still opportunity. You can call this number. It's
0: 901-353-5772, I believe. Is that the number? Yeah, that's right. That's the number. And uh, uh, dinner is free, uh, but please call if you want to eat because the ladies do a great job cooking, and it's served from 6 to 6.30. We cut everybody a little slack last night, but if you get there at 6.30, don't expect to eat, <laughs> because we're going we're gonna to start on time next week A couple other, other
1: quick things I want to mention before we have to say goodbye, Henry, and that is uh, Awaken Memphis.
0: This is something really on your heart. It's a group of believers who meet weekly. Yes, there's two things we do in Awaken Memphis. Uh, We want to facilitate the churches, the pastors, and ministry leaders to come together once a week to network and get to know one another. And uh, we meet uh, every Tuesday morning at 615, and we're on uh, Facebook called Awaken Memphis. The second thing we do is we have a group we started about uh, – we just celebrated one year. Every Monday night, uh, we have a Zoom call from 7 to 8.30, and we have intercessors from actually all over the world. Even Jerusalem. Jerusalem, yeah. Pastor Al's on there. Yeah, Pastor Al's on there. We've you know, had Pastor
1: a, Al led up my communion service at the Garden Tomb when I was oh, there wow. was back
0: in 2018. <laughs> yeah, well, and uh, this is really the brainchild of David Sitton and some others. We're trying to fan the flames of prayer and fasting to awaken the churches and strengthen the churches and to pray for the welfare of our city. We pray for the welfare of our state. We pray for the welfare of our nation, and we pray for the nations. And uh,
1: Henry, it, do you think that we really know how to pray and are really praying the things that are on God's heart?
0: I know if you want to learn how to pray, uh, there's some guys that I will listen to. Uh, it's a prayer time. Everybody's assigned a certain amount of time. If they share then uh, I'd like to think it's the Holy Spirit, but actually I got a clock on them. They get three (laughs) minutes, sometimes four, and if they want to keep praying, then they can pray, but they're not on the Zoom call. I just mute them. But uh, we have some very mature believers. It's fun to pray with them. I've learned so much about prayer. Speaking of prayer, May 6th, National Day of Prayer, Awaken Memphis, which is you can't join it. You just can become part of it. You can't give it to it, really. We're renting a pavilion out in uh, Shelby Farms. Different churches are taking an hour each, so National Day of Prayer will be out there from uh, 11 to 7. We're going to start the morning at Brit Hadashah from 7 to 9. It'll be prayer and worship, but if you're concerned about the state of our nation, uh, it's time to take the National Day of Prayer very seriously, and it's from everybody who believes that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. They're all welcome, and it's for people that don't, because you might run into somebody that might just understand how to communicate Christ in a loving way there. yes. So uh, please come and join us.
1: Well, if you look at events that are happening around our world and in our nation and not be concerned as a Christ follower, you know there's something that needs to be softened in your heart and we need to take these saints to our Heavenly Father. And, and he says you have not because you ask not.
0: Oh, yeah. Whether the return of Christ is imminent, which a lot of people and uh, think it's coming very soon. I know this. Today is the only day, if you're listening to my voice, that you know that you're alive. You know, in 2017, I, out of the blue, experienced a blood clot that had a very high death rate on it you know death's door is not scary for the follower of jesus that knows that he has all authority over everything so i want to encourage you if you're out there and you're struggling i've been there if you're out there and you're trying to live the christian life uh, you're kind of away from god you're not in church maybe you need to find some followers of jesus that will encourage you and you need to plug in we don't need to live our life like the lone ranger that's not the way the king told us to operate. And if you're not going to operate the way the king operates, it's not your kingdom. You don't get to decide how to follow Christ. He's already told us. Ninety-nine percent of God's will for our lives already been written, and he's told us what we need to do. And if we get that 99 percent right, the rest of this stuff you're worried about <laughs> and can't control, he said, seek ye first yes. the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. Henry Hutton, God bless you, my dear brother. Thank you so much
1: for sharing your heart. Thank you for being our newest sponsor for this program, Mid-South Viewpoint. God bless you, and thanks for sharing with us today. Thanks for stopping by. You're going to have to come back.
0: Well, thank you. I, I really enjoyed it. I think it's my first radio show I've ever done. So
1: <laughs> You can check that off your bucket list.
0: Uh, it wasn't even on my bucket list. <laughs> I never in a million years dreamed I'd be here doing a radio show ten years ago. So. Oh, my. Wow, what a privilege. privilege. Thank you. Thanks for all you do.
1: Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.